truth is authoritative. It is established by God. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. To answer the question, who is God? One of the important fundamental truths about who is God is you have to think rightly about God. And thinking rightly about God is understanding that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is three, and yet He is one. There are a lot of ideas out there today, but the best place to discover truth about God is on the pages of His Word. And the world worships rock stars and famous personalities and professional athletes and political powerhouse personalities and followers of Jesus understand there's only one person who's worthy, truly worthy of worship. Our worship has to be like no other. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Last week, we were in Isaiah chapter 6, where we saw three distinctives about God. Pastor Clay referred to it as the otherness of God. His greatness is like no other. Second distinctive, His holiness is like no other. And then the third distinctive, His forgiveness is like no other. Those distinctives tell us something about God, but what do we do with that information? Today, Pastor Clay is taking us back to Isaiah chapter 6, where we will find out what our reaction should be to the God who is like no other. I think that it was around 1967. Time magazine had a cover and a store, cover story, and the, the cover of the magazine, if you've ever seen it, said this. God is dead. Anybody ever see that magazine? I know some of y'all weren't alive in 1967, but you may have. It's a very famous uh, magazine cover. God is dead. Time magazine. Like I said, I believe it's 1967. Well, I'm pretty sure that came as quite a shock to God to know that, that, he, was, uh, that he was dead. But um, the emphasis of the article basically was that we as a as a culture, we as a people have, have kind of moved beyond this need for, for some deity. We've moved beyond this idea that, that somehow we need this God to be working in our lives. And, and man is sort of taking care of himself. And man is kind of building this, this utopic society. And if we're, just, if we're just left alone long enough, we're going to be able to get this thing right. Well, you know, it's... Uh, 67, 77, 87, 97, 2007, 42 years since then. And uh, I've lived through those years, and i I got to tell you, I really don't see things getting better. Uh, I see just the opposite, it seems like, in our culture and our uh, society. I, I, I tell you that because we started last week to try and answer this question about who is God. And to answer that question, we need to understand what, what culture thinks, what some people think, but ultimately, it's important that we know what God thinks, of course. If God is dead, it seems strange to me that his, his autobiography continues to be the number one bestseller uh, year after year after year. Uh, that's the Bible, by the way, y'all. Um, uh, last week, if you were here, you remember I, I mentioned this word, theology, Theology means the study of God. Well, that, that's what basically we've been doing for hundreds, thousands of years. Who is God? Man's been contemplating this idea and trying to, to figure it out. I told you then, 
uh, last week, I mean, and, and, I, and I say it again now, in some respects, you never answer that question completely because we can never completely know God. Not in the sense that we can understand Him completely. We, we are finite creatures. God is infinite. And that just doesn't plug in. And yet, as I said last week, God has invited us to know Him. This morning, we're looking again in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to read again this passage of Scripture, verses 1 through 8, in, in an attempt to continue answering this idea of who is God. Now, we looked at three distinctives last week. I'm going to summarize those again very briefly. And then we're going to go this morning to what the three reactions should be. What should my reaction be to who this God is that we discover in Isaiah 6? And there's much more that we learn about him in other places. But Isaiah chapter 6, if you brought a copy of God's Word, I invite you to open it this morning there. Um. As you've no doubt noticed this morning, the the tables are set for the Lord's Supper uh, this morning. First time that we've had the opportunity to do it here in the high school. I just want to say this right up front so that you understand that uh, you don't have to be a member of Cross Culture Church to participate in the Lord's Supper. You have to be a member of the body of Christ. The Bible is very clear about that, that you should know Christ as your Savior. You should have trusted Him and Him alone for your sins. And we'll talk about that in a few moments. You should be living as best you know in accordance with God's will for your life. In other words, there's no, there's no intentional, purposeful sin that you're holding on to and, and refusing to let go of and that you're, that, you're, that you're just living with in your life. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, you better not partake of the Lord's Supper if that's where you are. But other than that, the invitation is for all those who know Christ to come to the table. In a few moments, we're going to give you the opportunity to do that. I, I say this up front. Um, we, we usually have it where folks can come forward and, and respond. In here in the high school, it's very, it's very practical. We, we have to do it this way. We're trying to protect the carpet and everything in here in the uh, high school. So we have the tables for You'll come forward. Uh, we've got it taped down, but I just say this to you. Just, just be careful of the carpet. As you step up, we don't want you to trip or anything like that. Because I care about you. And our insurance rates would go through the roof. No. <laughs> no. Isaiah chapter 6. You here? You with me? Yeah, we've worshipped the Lord already this morning musically in a great way. We're going to continue to do that in, in a few moments. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I, meaning Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. And then I said, meaning Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Verse 8, And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom 
shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, why don't we all say that together? Here am I, send me. Isaiah chapter 6 is one of those uh, portions of the word of God that just, I don't know, there's something about it. I mean, it's all God's word. It's, it's all good. It's all applicable for life. But there's something about Isaiah 6, it seems to me, that just reaches out and grabs you and, and speaks into your heart and into your life. And last week, just to briefly review, we looked at three distinctives that, that I believe come out of Isaiah chapter 6 that we need to know. Because we're answering this question, who is God? Never completely answer it. But we answer it to the, to the degree that God reveals himself to us in his word. The first distinctive, and by the way, all of this is tied to what I referred to last week as the otherness of God. This, this idea that God is so unlike any of his creation, he is so unlike anything. It is the otherness of God that Isaiah seems to describe here in this encounter. Distinctive number one was simply this. His greatness is like no other. And I think you see that. At a time of, of political intrigue and, and turmoil and kings were coming and going and, and nations were rising and, and falling and, and uh, the Assyrian army was building and, and the empire was becoming greater and, and all types of change and all types of uncertainty and all types of alliances being made. Well, I better go join with this guy in case this guy attacks me and I better go with it in case this guy. All this going on in the midst of it, Isaiah sees God high, lofty, seated on his throne. It's this picture of this God who is unchanging, this God who is above everything else. He is the God who is greater than any other. His greatness is like no other. There's no one like God. There's no kingdom like God's kingdom. There's no power like God's power. His greatness is like no other. That was a distinctive that I believe Isaiah points out to us. Second distinctive was this. His holiness is like no other. In uh, verses 2 through 4, we're introduced to these, as I said, read a moment ago, we're introduced to these seraphim. The word means burning ones, the burning ones. Um, I believe Burning meaning they're, they're a reflection of the holiness of God, the, the greatness of God as they are in his presence. Uh, they're, they're the seraphim, they're the burning ones. And their message is just as clear as clear can be. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isn't that a very majestic, a very powerful statement that speaks of the, the otherness of God? He is separate he is distinct he is pure he is untainted he is holy and i said to you last week and we're gonna get to it in just a few moments but i say to you again this week if you do not understand the holiness of god if you do not begin to at least get some grasp of a picture of the holiness of god the separateness of god then you'll never understand the importance of the cross it's the holiness of god it's like no other and then the third distinctive that we looked at briefly last week, was this. His forgiveness is like no other. Verses 5 through 8, we we, we found this encounter. And we're going to kind of go back over it again this morning. But we found this encounter between Isaiah as as he comes into God's presence. And his, his reaction is quite proper, ladies and gentlemen. To come into the presence of God in all of his holiness and greatness is to expose ourselves. And I'll talk about that in, in just a moment. But but Isaiah is totally undone. He says, I'm undone. I don't, I, what's going to happen to me? I'm in the presence of God. And I am clearly a sinful man. And, and we got the whole encounter of the, of the seraphim flying to him with the, 
with the, uh, the coal that's on fire and it touching his lips. It's all of it. It's this picture of God's ability. Here's what it points out to me about God's forgiveness. Just th- three ideas about his forgiveness. Uh, one of them is this. His forgiveness is unearned. Isaiah says, man, uh, what am I going to do? There's nothing I can do here. I, I, I can't do a thing about this. I, I'm ruined is what he says. I, I'm ruined. In other words, I, I'm in big trouble here. There's nothing that he can do. It's very important that you and I recognize that there is nothing that we can do about our sin, not in ourselves. Second idea was this, his forgiveness is complete. Uh, Notice the seraphim says, your sin is forgiven. It is taken away from you. It is removed. We get this picture in five through eight of of this forgiveness that is unearned and is complete. and, And God just does it. He just does it. And then the last idea about it was this, his forgiveness is life changing. That shows up in verse eight. And that's where we're going to spend some time this morning. The implication is that Isaiah's life is never the same after this encounter with God. He's never the same as a result of this encounter with God. Can I tell you that when you encounter God, when you truly encounter God, it ought to be life-changing. So, this morning we're going to spend a few uh, moments looking at Uh, what I would call the reactions to these distinctives that we've looked at at God. Who is God? This otherness of God. Okay, how do I react to that? What should I do as a result of that? Part of that will be to come and uh, embrace the Lord's Supper this morning. First reaction that I think should be in our lives is this. We need to receive Him like no other. Let me read verses 5 through 7 again. And then I said... Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. He's simply saying, I'm a sinner. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. It is to receive him like no other. As I said a moment ago, Isaiah's response here after seeing God in all of his greatness and all of his holiness and all of his otherness, Isaiah's response is exactly as it should be. To recognize, oh my goodness, my, my inadequacies, my, my sinfulness in the presence of a God who is holy. Any of y'all ever watch any of those uh, CSI kind of shows? Any of y'all watch some of them? It's okay, you can raise your hand if you do. It's not a sin, I don't think. <laughs> NCIS, that's my favorite one. I like NCIS. Um, CSI, all those kind of, you see those, and one of, the, one of the tools, it seems like, that those crime scene investigators use a lot of times is when they go in, there's, they usually have some kind of light. I mean, I don't know if it's a black light or something a little more sophisticated than that, but they have this some kind of light that they, that they shine on the walls and on the floor and all that kind of stuff, looking for things that perhaps the, the naked eye might, might miss. Even if a person perhaps has tried to clean the scene with this light, it exposes if, there, if there's, you know, Blood spatter, sorry, um, uh, some type of DNA evidence or, or something like that. Even if someone's tried to, to keep something hidden or something in the, in the dark, this, this light that they bring in there exposes what somebody doesn't want anybody else to see. I think that's exactly what ought to happen in our lives. When we uh, come to this recognition of just how great God is and how holy God is, that the holiness of God is like this light that shines into our lives and it exposes to us 
First and foremost, it exposes to us our own sinfulness, our own sin. And, and why would the response be anything else? But God, as Isaiah says, I'm a sinner. I, I, have no, I have no hope. We have to receive him like we receive no other. Uh, uh, a couple of years ago on Larry King Live, there was a very popular, prominent preacher on the Larry King Live show. And uh, he was asked, uh, why is it that, that your message never seems to really say anything about sin or guilt or repentance or, or anything like that? Your message never seems to say anything like that uh, type of, of, of thing. And, and he responded and he said, Larry, my message is a popular one. My message is a, is a message of positiveness. I want... Everyone to experience their best life now. I, I want them to, to, to know of, of God's blessings that he wishes to give to them. That's a negative message, Larry. I, I don't like to go there. I know, I'm probably being a little more sarcastic than I should be. I know, I probably am. But listen, I, I, I get, can I tell you this? I, I get angry with that kind of message. Because... If you've, never, if you've never been where Isaiah is in this moment, if you've never seen yourself in the reflection of God's holiness, if you've never understood what sin actually is to a holy God, if you've never been where Isaiah is in this moment, seeing himself, seeing God, then I'm telling you, you will, you will never understand who God is and what your need is for him. You'll never have your best life now because you'll never come to a place of knowing what it is to be in relationship with him. Receiving him like no other means recognizing that he is like no other. Receiving him like no other means that he is the only one who is deserving to be called Lord of my life. That he is the one that gets to make the determinations of the directions for my life and the plans for my life and not me myself. It means receiving him with a recognition that his sacrifice made it possible for me to even contemplate the idea of being in a relationship with him and having the idea of life more abundant and have life with purpose and meaning and promise and all of those other things, that it's only because of what he did for me that even makes that possible. Do you know this passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 53? Surely our griefs he himself Bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the chastening for our well being fell upon him, and by his scourging we're healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. The church has been practicing the Lord's Supper for 2,000 years. What Isaiah described there in chapter 53 is exactly what these tables are about. It is a picture of what Christ did for us. As you take the bread, you will break off a piece, thereby symbolizing the body that was broken for you. And when you take that cup and you take that fruit of the vine into your mouth, it's representative of the blood that was shed for you. Second reaction, worship him like no other. 
I've told you all this before, and I kind of make, uh, I mean, not a joke about it, but I kind of laugh about it, but it, I mean, it's really true. I, I would be a Christian if it was just for the music. I mean, it's just like, it's just good. I, I've, I've been different places in the world, and I've heard their worship, uh, and our, our worship smokes theirs. <laughs> Does that sound right? Uh, you know what I'm saying? It's just, and I understand, we're going to get to it in a minute, I understand that the act of worship is not simply the singing of songs. The act of worship is not simply what takes place in, in this uh, building on Sunday morning. That's not only, but even in that, in that idea, in that context, uh, we should worship God like no other. Um, in, in verse 2, it says, These seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. And I talked last week a little bit about those wings and two he covered his face meaning each of the seraphim with two he covered his feet and with two he flew and one called out to another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory it's a short powerful succinct message and they apparently just repeat it back and forth and the sound of their voices is echoing back and forth across the the chamber of the temple and and it it is so powerful and is so strong it is so loud that it begins to shake the very foundations of the of the temple as they as as the words reverberate back and forth holy 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 is the lord god almighty and i was thinking about you know we could learn a thing or two from the seraphim about how to worship um Musical styles change. Instruments vary. Fashions come and go. You may close your eyes when you worship. You may worship with your eyes open. You may lift your hands when you worship. You may not lift your hands when you worship. You may sing. You may not sing Things come and things go, changes occur. But the one thing that must never change is the focus of our worship, the one who it is that we are worshiping. The one thing that must never change. If, if you change, if you have a new song, okay. If, if you dress a, a certain way, all right. If you, if you use a certain instrument, okay, whatever. But the one thing that it better not change is the object of our worship. He is Jehovah, he is Elohim, he is Adonai, he is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory and he is worthy of worship. Some of you have heard me tell, confess this before. But several years ago I was, I was uh, pastoring a church and, and we were in the, in the, the musical singing aspect of, of worship. I always try and say that because, because I, I think the whole service is worship. Uh, it's not just the, the singing part, but, but we were in the musical aspect of, of the worship service and we were singing and it was just very, uh, I don't know, it was just a very powerful day uh, and, and I don't even remember what I preached on that, that day, but I just I had, had a great time in the Word of God that week and, and, and I was just really, I, I was just really ready to worship. You know what I mean? You ever been, come in here and you're just really ready to worship? And, and that's how I was. And, and we're in the midst of a song. I don't remember what song it was. But right in the middle of that song, I suddenly felt compelled to lift my hands in worship. I'd never done that before. It wasn't something a fine upstanding Baptist did. <laughs> and, but I just, I felt, I felt compelled to, just to lift my hands in worship. By the way, it's a very biblical concept, you know. Um, Psalm 28, verse 2. Psalm 63, verse 4, Psalm 77, verse 2, 
Psalm 88, verse 9. Psalm 119, verse 48. Psalm 134, verse 2. Psalm 141, verse 2. Psalm 143, verse 6. Very biblical concept. The idea of, of lifting hands to God. But I, I, I'd never done that before. And there, standing on the platform, uh, music's playing, the, mu- the choir's singing, the people are singing, the organ's playing, all this stuff's going on. And I just, and, and I suddenly I began to have this, this debate with myself. This, this discussion. You know, I'm like, oh, oh, oh. wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. You, you, you can't lift your hands. You, you, can't, you can't worship. They'll think you've gone Baptocostal. You, you can't. You can't. You can't lift your hands. They'll think you're trying to be all spiritual. You can't lift your hands. They'll think you're showing out. You can't lift your hands. They'll, they'll start talking about you. You can't lift your hands. They'll think you're trying to be somebody. You can't. And, and this, is, this is what's raging around in my mind. It's really spiritual, isn't it? This is what's going on in my mind. And, and just in the midst of all that, as that's going on, God, in that instant, spoke into my life just as clearly as if he'd said it out loud. I'm telling you, it was just as clear as if he'd said it out loud. And I'm saying, I can't, I, I can't do this because they'll think this about me. And I can't do it because they, they might say this about me. And I, I can't do this. And, and just that, God spoke in my life. And God said these very words. I'm telling you, he spoke right in my life. And he said, I didn't even know this was about you. And, and in that instant, I, I can tell you now, today, Standing there on the platform, my eyes filled with tears because I was brought to such conviction in that instant. And I just confessed. I just said, God, forgive me for making worship more about me than about you. Now, listen, I, I, honestly, I, I don't tell that story. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you ought to lift your hands or not lift your hands. I, I, I don't care if you close your eyes or, or don't close your eyes. I'm not looking at you anyway. And quite honestly, it's probably none of my business if you sing or, or don't sing. I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm just, telling, I'm just confessing to you that it is amazing to me how quickly I can make worship about me and not about God. It's amazing how quickly the focus can come off of God and onto me and about this or that or, or what i got to do next or, or whatever. Our worship has to be like no other. And the world worships rock stars and and famous personalities and, and, and professional athletes and, and p- political powerhouse personalities. And the world worships all kinds of followers of Jesus. Understand there's only one person who's worthy, truly worthy of worship. And his worship ought to be like no other. Okay, uh, one other reaction. What am, I, what am I doing? Man, I got to receive him like no other. And I ought to worship him like no other. One uh, last reaction to share with you this morning. Serve him like no other. We've read it several times. Then I heard the voice of the Lord. Then, meaning after this has transpired, after this vision, after I see my own inadequacy, after I see my own sinfulness, after I see the holiness and the loftiness of God, after I see him for who he is, I see myself for who I am, after he comes and brings redemption into my life and brings me pardon and forgiveness, after all of that, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. It's interesting. 
I don't know if you noticed this or not, uh, Russell Hill and I had this conversation last week. He noticed it when I read it last week. It's interesting, uh, don't you think, that in this text, in, in verse 8, that the personal pronoun, the, or the, excuse me, the plural pronoun is used in reference to God when God's speaking. He says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Did you see that? Plural pronoun. It's, it's part of what builds the case for what's known as the doctrine of the Trinity, the triune Godhead, the idea that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, co-equal, eternal in existence, equal in, in power and, and value and quality and everything, distinct and yet, and yet inseparable. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8 doesn't prove the doctrine of the Trinity, but it's certainly a question that you have to answer. Well, why, why is there a plural pronoun in there? Why would God refer to himself as us? As I said, it doesn't prove the Trinity, but it certainly begins to build a case for this idea that God is three and yet he is one. Now, you may be saying, well, okay, thanks for that. Why do you bring that up? Because remember, the question we're answering is, who is God? And to answer the question, who is God? One of the important fundamental truths about who is God is you have to think rightly about God. And thinking rightly about God is understanding that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is three, and yet he is one. I want you to look at Isaiah's response. to After all this happens, after all that he sees, after all that goes on, Isaiah's response is, here am I. Let me think about that. Oh, we could be even more spiritual than that. Here am I. Let me pray about that, God. Here am I. Wait until I get to a certain age, get to be married, have sex, and have children. <laughs> it's kind of like the return. You know, so, so we want to get so far before Jesus comes back. Here am I. Let me go and do that specific thing. Here am I, and let me go over to this specific place. Here am I. Let me get back to you on that, God. Listen, I love this. Isaiah doesn't have to know where he's going. He doesn't have to know what he's going to be doing. He doesn't even care what it will cost him. He says, here am I. Send me. Hey, and don't miss the exclamation point. It's not just there on the screen. It's on your text as well. Don't miss the exclamation point. It's very important because in the original language, in the Hebrew that the Old Testament was written in, Isaiah's response is emphatic in the Hebrew language. It's, here am I, send me. Listen to me. Isaiah's not saying he will go. Isaiah's begging to go. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Maybe we would back up and say that one again. Maybe I said that too fast. Isaiah's not saying he will go. Isaiah's begging to go. God, don't look any further. God, Ooh, it's like Cotter. Welcome back, Cotter. Ooh, 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 Horshack. Ooh, 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 send me. Send me, God. Let me go. I'll do it. I'll answer the call. You don't even have to ask anybody else. Please, God, let me go. He's begging to go. Psalm 100. I think Psalm 100, verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with gladness. God, let me do this, please. <laughs> I know it. I know it as good as anybody. It is often exhausting. It is seldom truly appreciated for what you do. But it's always worth it. Because it's always for the king. Uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 in the Williams translation. I love the Williams translation. It says, I beg you, therefore, brothers, 
through these mercies that God has shown you to make a decisive dedication of your bodies as a living sacrifice, devoted and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Give your life to Him. Serve Him like no other. I wonder if we were to ask ourselves that question today. Now, you don't, don't, don't say it out loud. Just ask it to yourself. I were to ask myself, do I serve God like no other? It's an interesting question to ask ourselves, isn't it? Do I serve, okay, I ser- do I serve God like no other? Do I serve God or do I desire to serve God with the passion and the zeal that Isaiah displayed here in chapter 6 when he said, he said, oh God, please let me do it. God, please let me go. Do I, do I serve God in, in that manner? I, I'm not trying to put anybody on a guilt trip. I learned a long time ago, guilt is a poor motivator. I just think those are the kind of questions that we ought to ask ourselves. When I was 23 or 24 years old, somewhere right in there, I said, God, I, I give you my life. I'll let you direct it. You, you tell me what you want to do. When I was 32... I said, God, I'll I'll preach your word. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll preach your word if you let me do that. When I was 48, (laughs) when I was 48, I said, God, I'll plant a church. I'll start from scratch with a group of people that are willing to to believe in the vision and and ride this thing as far as God will take it. God, I'll do that. I'll do it. All I'm saying to you is this. I don't care if you're 8 or 18 or 80, we ought to still be asking the question. We ought to still be saying, God, what do you want me to do? God, how do you want me to serve? We ought to still be willing to say, here am I, send me. What an awesome God. Isaiah's reaction to his vision of God is a model for believers today. We can't work our way to him. We can't be good enough for him to accept us. We have to acknowledge our sin, as Isaiah did, and our inability to do anything about it. Christ's sacrifice made it possible for us to be adopted into the family of God. That causes us to worship him like no other, because there is no one else who is worthy of worship. Finally, like Isaiah, the burning passion of our heart should be to serve him like no other. There's a new Crosswalk lesson each week available at crosswalkonline.org and at crossculturelife.org. Visit us online and find out how you can join one of our life groups and participate in the small group study of The Truth Project. And join us next week as Pastor Clay continues this timely and life-changing series. Cross Culture Church has a new home in Raleigh. We invite you to join us for our weekly cross-culture worship with upbeat Christ-centered music and timely encouraging biblical messages celebrating the goodness of our God and what it means to be in a relationship with Him. Cross Culture Church meets Sunday mornings at 1030 in the auditorium at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture, you'll find a community of believers with the desire to be used by God to show that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're looking for.
Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.